This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Bingeworthy, a television podcast that cuts through the noise to talk about what bingeworthy series we watch, how we watch them, so you can know exactly what's worth your time. Hosted by myself, Mike D'Angelo, and editor in chief of the playlist, Rodrigo Perez. Today, you find us jumping into the new HBO series Winning Time, produced by Adam McKay, which just aired its first episode this past Sunday. The show follows the creation of the 1980s Showtime era Lakers under the new owner, Jerry Buss, played by the amazing John C. Riley. The first season begins in the 79-80 season, which is famously the season that Magic Johnson, played by newcomer Quincy Isaiah, joins the team. It's a show about excess in a new era of basketball. After Rodrigo and I discuss the show, we will have three short interviews with the writer, showrunner, Max Borenstein, uh, writer, executive producer, Ronnie Barnes, and newcomer and Magic Johnson himself, Quincy Isaiah. But before we jump into the new episodes, I've got to tell you that Bingeworthy is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, Deep Focus, The Fourth Wall, The Discourse, and more. We can be heard on iTunes, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, and most places where podcasts are found. Follow us on iTunes and you'll get this podcast as well as our other shows regularly. Be sure to subscribe and drop us a comment or a rating as we greatly appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Okay, Rodrigo, let's talk about winning time which is certainly binge-worthy. Hey, hey, what are your thoughts on the show so far? I think I saw about three, four, four episodes, maybe just in, in, inching into the fifth one. Um, I really love the first three episodes. It's got like such dynamic energy. It might be like, you know, hey, to compliment Adam McKay, I think it might be one of the best things he's done since uh, for a while now. I haven't been a huge fan of some of his dramas, but I thought this was a great blend of both. Uh, I mean, I suppose his more recent drama still have comedy, but I don't know. There's just a great sense of energy. It's really dynamic. That's all those fourth wall breaks. And John C. Riley is fucking terrific. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the perfect role for John C. Riley. Yeah. It's so, you know, the character he plays Jerry Buss, who, who buys the LA Lakers at the time in the, I guess it's the mid 80s, is late 80s. Yeah, it's uh, 79, he does it, and then, yeah, it's going into that 79, 80 season. Right. I mean, he's just got, the way he play him, it, he plays him as just this man with massive charisma and pizzazz, and he's a grifter, too, in a way, because he knows that, like, you know, he's got checks that he can't cash, but he'll, he'll figure it out, you know? <laughs> um, and, and he has also this sort of prophetic faith in basketball. He knows basketball at the time, I'm not a basketball historian, but I'm going to assume a lot of this stuff is pretty accurate. And basketball is kind of in the toilet at the time, in the late seventies in terms of ratings and stuff like that. It's not doing great. And, and, you know, one of the, the key things about Jerry Buss as played by John C. Riley is that he's just got this prophetic belief that like, look, basketball is everything. It's like an incredibly dynamic, exciting game. And we're going to create something that, that 
is uh, that sort of lives up to it and, and create some razzle dazzle, create some entertainment more than just sports create, you know, he, he keeps saying like, you know, showtime, like we're going to really make basketball into a thing. And, and it seems like he's the one who really got it to chart in a, in a sort of make it pop off of, of uh, you know, in terms of ratings and cultural and awareness. Absolutely. I mean, he just kind of brings it into the the kind of glitzy world that he wants it to be. He's got a nightclub in the damn uh, arena for crying out loud. And that yeah. comes up at, as the season progresses. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful show. And the thing about this and a lot of other shows that have been coming on lately, whether it's in 1980s California or Silicon Valley or whatever it is, it's a guy who has endless amounts of charisma and is constantly punching above his weight class. So it's just this kind of force of nature moving everything forward and just hoping things land right. And obviously, you know, history, you can look back on it, you can kind of cheat and check out the story itself, or maybe you remember it, or maybe you've read the book that this is based on Showtime, you know, that things end up pretty well for old Jerry and the Lakers. (laughs) And there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens. And then there's a lot of really, really good, uh, speaking of performances, really good newcomers that uh, come in and play, for example, Quincy Isaiah is is Magic Johnson. Solomon Hughes is another newcomer who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And then there's a lot of solid people who just, you know them, you love them, whether it's Jason Clark or Jason Siegel or Adrian Brody or Sally Field. You just all these people that just keep popping up throughout the show, giving amazing performances and coloring things in a way that you hadn't necessarily thought of or seen before uh, for the era, which I know the Lakers themselves and the NBA have been kind of like, we have nothing to do with this, probably because they don't want to fess up to some of the things that happened at the time. (laughs) But uh, it's a really entertaining show. I think it's great. I mean, the other thing that you're sort of like dancing around is like the deep bench of this cast is outstanding. It is also gigantic, Mm -hmm. but it has got like, you know, okay, you mentioned Jason Clark, but you you know, you've got Gabby Hoffman in the show. You got Molly Gordon, you got Rob, uh, Rob Morgan, who was recently in um, Don't Look Up, Uh, Adrian Brody, Sally Field, Jason Siegel. Uh, Lola Kirk, Tracy Letts, jo- jo- Julianne Nicholson, Lisa Gay Hamilton, Jillian Jacobs, uh, Rory Cochran, the list just goes on and on. And if you don't necessarily know these names, trust me when I say that you will at least recognize them when you see them. Wood Harris uh, from The Wire. There, there's just some amazing, amazing character actors throughout this whole thing. And they're like all over the place. And it's like kind of everywhere you turn, there's like an amazing uh, actor or character actor somewhere. It's, it's just the, the, the deep bench of this cast is insane. It's crazy. Yeah. And then stylistically, they do some really interesting things. They work with a lot of different formats and kinds of film to make it kind of feel there's, there's that grittiness that they put into the, the look of it For that kind sure. of makes it feel of the era. Yeah, the aesthetic's amazing because it keeps changing, right? Like you've got like mm-hmm. what looks like eight millimeter. You look, you got something that looks like sixteen millimeter. You've got something that looks like, uh, you know, almost like an Instagram kind of filter, like looking <laughs> kind of thing. You've got uh, stuff that looks very much like it's like low res shitty TV cameras from that era. Um, you got stuff that's probably a little bit more like modern day, you know 
whatever if, the, if this was shot on 35 but like you know degraded a little bit but it, it yeah it really really jumps around i kind of love some of the like the stuff that looks like it's shot on like totally like you know because they're I, I think they're trying to to really replicate that era in terms of yeah. like the television cameras that they used at the time to capture some of this stuff and some of that stuff looks like but ugly but also really cool in terms of its aesthetic because it really like helps you place it as as this thing that's like you know it's not just costumes and stuff it's a whole it's a whole vibe that's that's got this you know old school vintage 70s 80s kind of uh, look and feel to it i absolutely love it i was just looking at the number of producers on this show there are about 16 producers <laughs> one form or another on this show obviously adam mckay is the big name and max bornstein is the showrunner who yeah. i get to talk to a little later uh, along with rodney barnes who's an ep and you know uh, quincy isaiah they they had a lot of interesting things to say about bringing this to life and just being you know fans of things in general i even got rodney who was a pa for quite a while before he started his writing career and he's he's in graphic novels and and all kinds of stuff but he worked on blade so i got him to give me a wesley snipe story too oh nice nice yeah yeah i mean like you know we got adam mckay jonah hill directs episode two and mm-hmm. kind of knocks that out of the park yeah the um, energy on his episode's great yeah there's a lot of good stuff tanya Ham- hamilton and, and payment benz uh, direct some of the later episodes yeah it, there's some really good it's just really high energy kind of stuff that really kind of you know kind of gives you that vibe of los angeles the kind of los angeles that was in the movies you know the glitz the glam lots of sex drugs rock and roll that's very much the vibe of the show and so the the aesthetic vibe is is trying to capture that energy and that vibe a lot of nightclubs a lot of like wheeling and dealing <laughs> there's a a funny little thing where like Mike D from the Beastie Boys is, is, has a tiny little cameo as a as a guy on the in a nightclub being like a cheesy lounge singer and stuff and I don't know it's just like it's like everywhere you turn like I said you know like there's yeah. something there's someone you know like Adrian Brody's a big name but he's just like one of many Jason Siegel's a pretty big name Jason Clark's a big name but they're just sort of like part of this fabric of this all these different people um, in the Los Angeles Lakers uh, organization, you know, Adrian Brody is Pat Riley, Jason Clark is uh, Jerry West, uh, Jason Siegel is Paul Westhead. Yeah, it's it's you know, there's a uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, and yeah. uh, the music is great. Nicholas Bertel does some of it too. You know, the guy who does the succession theme. Oh, is it really nice? Yeah, he does some of it. Um, he's also helped out by Robert Glasper. Um, and then there's, of course, you know, it's kind of like funky vibe of like soundtrack stuff, 70s, which, you know, McKay, I feel kind of seems to know very well. You know, there was one iteration of, of this show that um, almost had uh, Will Ferrell as John C. Riley's role. And you kind of like <laughs> go like, I mean, John C. Riley's amazing this. But you do feel like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense in that, you know, like Will Ferrell's already made like, you know, those kind of 70s funky basketball comedies, right? That Adam McKay actually wasn't involved in, but you can see the iteration where they maybe discussed it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it was certainly one of their productions from their old production company. And you got to imagine like, you know, Will Ferrell's done dozens and dozens of movies. And a lot of them are these these sports comedy kind of things. And McKay is involved in some of them, like Talladega Nights, and and not involved in some of them. And and his company had just produced them in the past. But you gotta you you for sure know that they at least discussed them. And and you know he might have been like, this one's not for me to direct. But like I totally get the vibe that where where uh, uh, Will Ferrell was once involved, and it has that kind of like seventies funky kind of Harlem Globetrotters leftover kind of vibe, you know. And then there's also kind of two shows going on at once. 
where you have this world of Jerry and, you know, the people that surround him and, and just kind of the bluster of Jerry that's blasting out at everybody. And then there's the players. Yeah, <laughs> there's the players themselves who have a very different vibe. I mean, they're, they're obviously all worried about their minutes and, you know, getting their time in and becoming what they become or do not become in certain cases. But obviously, Magic Johnson has quite a trajectory to yeah. go on just in this first season alone. The kid from Michigan, who is that yeah. where he's from, right? right? Yep. And, and, and he's just sort of like, you know, a kid. And, and we're sort of introduced to his origin story. And like, you know, he's he's wants to play point guard, but there's another point guard who's like already like LA made dude who like sort of takes him down a peg. And yeah, it's really interesting, you know, like just hearing, seeing some of that, like Maddie Johnson's family stuff, like, you know, he comes from a very religious family and very worried about him going to LA and what his life's going to be. His mom's very disapproving about his entire lifestyle, essentially. So the, there's that narrative. There's the the Jerry West narrative, who's he's the old uh, LA Lakers uh, uh, coach played by Jason Clark, who eventually quits because he's just so bitter, so angry. Um it's kind of funny because he could have been there for the dynasty, but he decides to leave. <laughs> um, and he's, he, that guy's a kind of hilarious, amazing character, right? He's just like so angry and so bitter and it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And yet he's, he's kind of there throughout, at least on the show. I don't know in, in real life if he was there, but definitely a guy who, who kind of missed out on the glory there, but he's still got his ring. He still points at it, you know, quite a bit throughout the show, but yeah, I think it's a, a really interesting show. And, and then, you know, also with the, the Kareem of it all, it'll, it allows you to kind of go into his shoes and, you know, he's kind of the old wise guy who's got hundreds of game games under his belt and just looks at things completely differently than magic. Right. Ooh. He's very Zen. He's very experienced. <laughs> He's a veteran. Yeah. It's just kind of funny. Their, their dynamic one guy, it, like Solomon who plays Kareem just does. It's, it's basically a brick wall to Quincy. It, it's, it's a very funny dynamic. I'm sure it was probably pretty similar in real life. Didn't seem like they got along overly well at first. And this is very much McKay's world. He knows this stuff. I believe he did like, uh, okay, so there's the book that this is based on, but there's also, I believe he did a podcast before this that if it doesn't, if it's not the same story, it still touches upon a lot of the same stuff. McKay's a, a through and through an, uh, an LA Lakers junkie. You same know, with Max, who's, who's the showrunner, yeah. Right, right. Well, it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about that. I know you had a conversation with him. And yeah, it feels like this stuff is is very historically accurate, very well researched, and uh, they know their shit. So um, I, I can't wait to dig into the rest of it. But from the like four or five apps that I've seen is, is, is pretty great. Well, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty airs on HBO and HBO Max on Sundays through May. Let's get to our interviews with showrunner Max Borenstein, writer-executive producer Rodney Barnes, and actor Quincy Isaiah. I just want to say, first off, I love the show and I really appreciate taking the time to talk to you about it. Um, obviously, the story kind of stems from the famous book Showtime by Jeff Perlman. But I want to know kind of how you got involved with making this your show, basically. You're the showrunner. So how did you get it up on its feet? How did it come to you? Well, you know, Jim Hecht had optioned this book. Uh, he's a huge Lakers fan. We had some mutual friends in common. And when he and uh, he had partnered with Adam McKay and Kevin Messick 
uh, and HBO, and they were looking for someone to come aboard and adapt it and write it and show run it. And through mutual friends, he found out that I grew up in LA, that I was a Lakers fan. And I guess he knew something about my work and thought maybe I would uh, gravitate to it. Not I read Jeff's book and it was exactly the synthesis of all the things that I love. You know, it's an ability to tell a story about LA, about basketball and about this moment where LA basketball transformed culture and give us a, use that moment, use that story as a window into all of these other aspects, uh, this cross section of American culture uh, and of a moment, a transformative moment. So for me, that was just a dream come true. Absolutely. And a big part of making this show the show is casting a lot of these who are unknowns, specifically Quincy Isaiah as Magic and Solomon Hughes as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They are phenomenal. I'm wondering how much time was spent finding the right fit for these pe- for these <laughs> roles and, and what was it that stood out about these guys? I mean, I'm, well, it's kind of obvious once you see, but- Once you see it, it look- you? A lot of time went into it. A lot of pounding the pavement and hard work by our casting team, led by Francine Maisler and Melissa Kostenbrenner, who were, you know, two of the very best. And they and their teams, they scoured, they scoured the country. Uh, they did a global search. They saw hundreds of people. Francine would tell you this was one of the hardest casting job she's ever done and she's one of the most iconic casting directors of all time and she ultimately what made it so challenging was finding guys not only who would resemble Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar not only who would also be able to play basketball convincingly also who had to be tall enough to fit the bill and in Kareem's case that's real tall And, but then honestly, those were all the easiest parts, the hardest things for each of them were the personality because beyond just being able to act, which is its own challenge, uh, because we were looking at a pool, we knew very quickly, these weren't going to be known people because we knew the usual suspects and there was no one who was quite right. Well, in Magic's case, how do you find someone with that charisma? In Kareem's case, How do you find someone with that gravitas, that intellectual weight, who also fits and checks all those other boxes? The moment we saw Quincy light up the screen with that smile and with his that twinkle in his eyes and that those acting chops, we knew we had it. Uh, The moment that we that we saw Solomon read and heard that not only was he a doctorate in education policy, uh, who was a teacher at Stanford, but also that he played basketball for the Harlem Globetrotters. So it was really the casting gods like shining their their light on us. And then you have John C. Riley, who yet again is proving he's one of the best actors in the whole damn world. Absolutely. Um, I'm just, you, you know, a huge fan of his. I'd kind of love to know what he brings to a project that people wouldn't necessarily think of right away. I Well, yeah, I mean, John is one of the most amazing actors I've ever had the pleasure of working with. He's unbelievable. I mean, the thing that it, the thing that I think is most incredible and unique about John, he's totally committed and he's totally fearless when he's performing. And he's willing to take risks, add ideas, improvisatory moments, always within the script. Like he knows the script inside and out. He knows what he has to do and accomplish emotionally. And within that, he will find and mine out moments. He'll, whether they be lines, looks, 
added pieces at the beginning or the end. He's one of the best improvisers alive, period. And so if he has a script that he believes in and a character he knows, his ability to just continue to mine the depths of that character on screen is totally unrivaled. Another outstanding performance. I'd be surprised if he doesn't get nominated for it. Same with a lot of these newcomers. But I'm curious who brought him to the project because I know he's worked with you on Kong Skull Island and he's worked with Adam a lot. So who, where, where did he come in? Well, John, I mean, he obviously goes back deep with Adam McKay and they have, Mm -hmm. you know, they've made some extraordinary movies together. And so, you know, they had the deep-seated relationship. He and I had known each other just a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. from Kong Skull Island and, uh, and, you know, got to know each other over the course of of the pilot. And he's, you know, we couldn't ask for, you know, just a more incredible actor as the sort of cornerstone uh, of this series. Absolutely. And then, you know, as far as the series goes, my wife and I were kind of discussing that the great shows of today, how many of them are prestige shows that are based on these true events and scandalous times within mm-hmm. recent history. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of those and a, a great one at that. But why do you think we both as an audience and as creatives are so drawn to these kind of shows right now in this era? I think there's a desire right now. What I think is fun about our show is that I think it's fun. Yes. I think our show is exciting and entertaining. I, at the same time, I think our show does not shy away at all from the serious aspects of its subject matter. I think people might come to it expecting the fun and the entertainment and they're gonna get it. And at the same time, they're gonna get a lens onto other themes, class, gender, race, some deeper ideas about America, and then a lot of just really beautiful human stuff that you might not expect uh, you would see in a show as sort of frolicking and fast-paced and fun as this show. So, you know, I, I, I to me that the ability to use a moment in history as a lens on the American experience, the human experience, is just, you know, that's timeless. But what I love about this show is its ability to really have a tone that remains light on its feet while still, I think, I hope, being something worthy of of rich, nuanced humanity and depth. All of those things in spades. You also spent a lot of time in Legendary's Godzilla, King Kong, Monsterverse films. I'm curious if you're still involved in the future of those franchises or if that's kind of like, I don't even have time anymore. (laughs) I mean, I'll always be family with those guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're that, you know, that was my, I learned so much and am so fortunate to have been able to be a part of that entire franchise, you know, so they have all like, I'm sure an incredible sort of run ahead. And if, and when I ever have an opportunity uh, where the stars do align, where we, where we can, I can play in that sandbox and work with them again. I'll always jump at it. Absolutely. And then I, I know at one point, I mean, HBO has a lot of projects up in the air as far as like in production, maybe not in production. I know there was a Game of Thrones project thrown around at one point. Are you still involved? And what's the status of that project? We'll see. That's that. I mean, the status of that project is it is uh, it is in a drawer, but, you know, one <laughs> never knows. It certainly was something I was really passionate about. This, however, you know, there's nothing I love more deeply, honestly, than this show creatively. It's this winning time has, it's been a labor of love for the last 
you know, four odd years. And, and I really mean that it's like, it's been, and I think not just for me, you know, the, the whole crew and the cast, it's been something special mm-hmm. uh, that everyone really, you can feel it on the set. It's a lot of people who, some people who are new and a lot of people who've been around the block doing incredible work for a long time. And what you felt was people think, you know, you felt this energy uh, of people knowing that there was something special that they were working on, that they loved the project. They loved what it has the potential to be, uh, these characters. And I'm, you know, I'm the head cheerleader of that whole thing. Like I, uh, I'm all in. So, yeah. Well, I finished all five yesterday and I'm kind of heartbroken that I don't have the rest (laughs) of the series to watch because it's so damn good. Um, you know, you'll have a chance soon, but that, exactly. that makes my day. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate yeah. that. No problem. You have a good day. I appreciate you giving me your time. You too. Thanks. How are you, Rod? I'm all right. I dig your background. Thanks, man. Uh, something you do when you're bored at press junket, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's way better than my curtain, but yes. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Obviously, this project all stems from the great Jeff Perlman's famous Showtime book. Uh, but I'm curious, when did you connect with the story? Did you read the book first? And how did the show come to you? Was it something that you pursued um, or were you approached? Yeah, I was approached. Uh, Max Bornstein, our showrunner, uh, and I have been collaborating for about a decade now. Yes. And when he was brought in, he called me and asked me if I wanted to sort of partner with him and go on this journey. And I said, sure, but let me read the book first and, <laughs> you know, let me see what it is. What story are we telling exactly? And as I was reading the book, I started to become sort of nostalgic because I remembered this period of time. This is when I started to watch basketball and basketball became a part of my life. Up until then, it was just sort of a game where you go out on the blacktop and shoot a couple of hoops. But once you once it sort of gets in your bloodstream, then you're ready to um, it, it becomes a part of your life. And after I read the book and I saw the layers and detail, and unfortunately, I'm old enough to have remembered some really bad basketball movies and TV shows or (laughs) at the very least where the players sort of uh, played the game, but the story was about the owner or the coach. Like it was his life and the other guys were relegated to a one dimensional. That's the funny one. That's the bad one. That's the one that's going to get shot. And this wasn't that at all. Uh, This was really um, layered and it had a lot of different dimensions and facets to it. And it spoke to an era that I think not a lot has really been spoken to about the politics and the the social stuff that was going on during that period of time. It's like you're coming out of the the heat of the 70s and the civil rights movement and all of this stuff, and you're moving into the 80s and and an era that's sort of an unknown for a lot of folks because economically, trickle-down economics and Reagan is a lot different than Carter and politics are about to change. And while all of that's going on, basketball is sort of going through this massive evolution from a game that was uh, relatively slow and uh, it's almost like a chess match, a physical chess match. And now it's an up-tempo chess match where there's movement and athleticism and that's sort of being infused into the game in a way that up until that point was sort of, when I played, you know, coaches, you didn't alley-oop and you didn't do all of these things. That was showboating. And now you have a guy like Magic Johnson who's bringing that into the game for the whole world to see. 
And I think uh, bringing a degree of entertainment to it, not just sport. Was there a, a full writer's room for this show or was it just you and Max just kind of beating um, out yourselves? That's a great question. Um, we didn't have a lot of folks. Let's just say that. Okay, um, sure. <laughs> Jim Heck was a part of it uh, who helped uh, bring, he was the first one that got the book to Adam McKay and Rebecca Bertucci uh, was also a part of it. But that was primarily, you know, it's just the, the four yeah. of us. And, you know, Max and I, because we know each other so well, and we sort of have a thing, I w- I'll say partnership in the way that we go about attacking story, that if we have all of the ingredients, we can make a pretty good stew when you go into the kitchen and uh, we don't get in each other's way. We both do a different thing. I'm more of a sauce guy. He's more of a meats guy. So we put those together and it works. Whatever it is, peanut butter and jelly, it's working really, <laughs> really go. well because there is so much going on in the show and I love it so much. Thank you. Um, I'm curious when you read the book, because I haven't read the book, mm-hmm. it, was there something from that book that you wanted to bring in or maybe something that wasn't in the book that you wanted to specifically make sure was present in the show itself? I mean, <clears throat> again, going back to that other question about players and bad basketball storytelling being uh, told. I wanted to add a dimension, a human dimension to the guys mm-hmm. that played the game because it would be really, really easy. And I won't name any shows, but one is screaming in my head right now, where it's just about guys having fun and playing a game and, you know, they chase chicks and they get drunk and they do stuff and they just have fun. And here you're dealing with a period of time where a lot of guys are wrestling with some serious stuff. You know, Spencer Haywood came from a really traumatic background. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a a seminal figure in the civil rights and human rights movement. And how do you bring that stuff in if you're just talking about basketball? Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was important to be able to speak to all of it and basketball as well. So the, the tricky part for Max and I was to how do you bring that in without stopping the storytelling? You know, how we got the story that's going on. And then you stop to make a speech about, hey, I grew up in a particular time that wouldn't have worked. So to be able to integrate it into the narrative and into the plot as you're moving forward and do it in such a way that it doesn't feel like medicine. That was what was important to me. It really doesn't feel like medicine at all. It, it has such a pace to it. And everybody feels like they're punching above their weight class yeah, and just yeah. trying to get by. It's a great it, way to put it. It really, it really makes you root for all the characters. Thank you. I'm curious how involved you were when it came to the the casting of it all. Like, especially like these newcomers, Quincy and Solomon. It was first time seeing them as Magic and Kareem. I was just blown away. Yeah, Quincy. I was, I was there for Quincy. We inherit. I inherited Quincy. I've mm-hmm. sort of adopted Quincy in my life <laughs> as well. Um, but I was there for Kareem and all of the other players when we're going through that process of trying to fill out the roster. And um, it was a daunting task because you had some really great guys and some of the guys that came out for Kareem and some of the other players, they would have one thing, but not the other thing. You know, it was like, you might be a great basketball player and play just like that guy, but maybe um, personality wise, you know, didn't necessarily fit the unique thing that we needed. Um, and so it was really, really difficult to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do everything with these guys and they really do. And I mean, they trained, they played basketball, they had to learn their lines. I mean, the amount of work that they had to go through to, to do this was Herculean and they were up to the task and always had a great attitude with it. 
And, you know, I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you right now. I mean, they really did do a lot of heavy lifting to get to this place. And we probably wouldn't have, we definitely wouldn't have the show that we have right now were it not for those guys putting in that work. Uh, you yourself kind of have this long storied career, great projects. You spent a lot of time before that as like a production assistant. On yes, I sense. did. You've gone through your work. You've gone I, through IMDb. I have. I have at least a little bit. And one of those you PA'd on was Blade. And it's one of my all-time favorites. I have to ask if you have any Wesley Snipe stories from the set. Yeah. Blade was my first LA job uh, nice. in living in LA. I was living in my car on the corner of Laurel Canyon and Ventura Boulevards behind Long's Drugs. It's a CVS now. I would drive from there every morning and go to set. And in the parking lot, Wesley Snipes would be doing his blade karate, (laughs) sometimes in costume. And sometimes he would have the sword. And I wouldn't pull in and park because I didn't want to ruin the moment. I would just sit there and I would watch him do the blade karate. That's what I called it. I'm sure there's another Mm -hmm. name for it. But it was, and I'm a comic book guy. I know, So being able to see this like it's not real. And he was so cool. And it was the whole experience, Steve Norrington, all of those guys. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of people would ask me, what was it like living in your car? And, you know, today's generation, when they say, you know, tell me about what that was like. I'm like, I never felt like it was bad or hard at all because I'm in Hollywood and I'm a lot closer to this, to what I want to do being back in Maryland, far away from what I want to do. And so Mm -hmm. it was a blessing, man. It was great. Yeah. Well, one last question before I I wrap with you, Uh, whether it's Blade or or some of the graphic novels you have, like Blackula redo Mm -hmm. that you did or the Philadelphia. What are the odds that you've been around town kind of pitching shows of those of those nature? Because I think those would make really interesting stories on the screen as well. Philadelphia has been optioned. I've written a pilot. Um, we have casted, uh, one of the leads that plays James Sangster. Um, we, I believe we have a director. If uh, my email, when I get off of here later (laughs) today, hopefully a good email comes through. And I just think that, um, I've always loved genre and modern day. I look at the stuff Jordan Peele has done to revolutionize Mm -hmm. the idea of how urban horror, the way these stories are told. And I've always wanted into that. So big shout outs and kudos to him. But hopefully praying to the horror gods that be the that Philadelphia will make it through. That's the one I'm sort of uh, putting all my chips on and hopefully nice. good things will happen. I believe it. Uh, well, I appreciate you giving me your time today. I look forward to seeing the rest of this season because it is outstanding. Thank you. Very um, much. Yeah. Best of luck to you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. heck are you man hey i can't complain how you doing <laughs> i'm doing great i freaking love the show watched all Good. five of them uh well five, five that they gave us and right. Right. you are outstanding as magic johnson in this show man thank you man yeah yeah so researching you obviously i'm sure you're getting this a lot today you're, you're a bit of a newcomer so there's very little information out there when it comes to uh your career i, I mean i know you're fresh out of drama school I'd love to know a little bit about the journey from your side uh, as to getting this role. Cause I've spoken to Max, I've spoken to Rodney and they've kind of told me their side of it and finding you and kind of adopting you into their lives. But I'd, I'd love to know what, uh, what your side of it was. 
I like that phrase, adopting me into the <laughs> Especially it with Rodney. Rodney. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I knew it was Rodney. Because Rodney, that sounds like his his uh, his verbiage. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He loves me. He loves he me does. so much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I moved out here uh, August of 2017. I graduated June 2017. Okay. And I'm, I moved out here and just, just started wanting to act. I just wanted to getting anything that I could and I was able to do a lot of a good amount of short films and just um put put together a reel and really just started my search for like an agent or somebody who could help me get more roles and hopefully bigger roles and I found an agent and she started putting me out on a whole bunch of auditions I want to say I was with her for about eight months to a year and didn't book anything and then this came up and Lo and behold, I booked <laughs> the biggest thing that I probably ever read for. So um, let's say we did pretty good. We did a good job. <laughs> yeah, you did all right. Uh, I know. I did Adam, all right, right? Sure. <laughs> I know Adam McKay called it one of the single greatest casting challenges of his career to find both you and Solomon, who plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of course. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to step into a role that means that much and and means so much to so many people and not only have to act like him but you have to play like him as well what did this all entail for you yeah you know just you know who you playing so and and you know that a lot of other people gonna know who you playing too so you just want to make sure that one you you do it justice but you also got to remember that you know like you do it justice by being authentic and being um and making sure that you show the humanness to this person and really just do the work, you know, and put the work in and really uh, respect it and honor the character by, by you know, just, just doing, again, my, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Myself, but, but just doing the work, you know, and I think with Solomon being able to be paired with him, it allowed me to like, one, we're both relatively new mm-hmm. and just like really be able to figure out how how we move in this space and how we act off of each other. Understanding that this is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, this is Dr. Solomon Hughes, <laughs> and um, just really building a relationship, one, outside of our characters, but also figuring out who Magic and, and uh, Kareem are at this point in their lives and how how that relationship looks and just yeah. being real about it and just letting it be a breathing thing and figuring it out in the fly of the moment. Were you able to speak with magic at all? No, I wasn't. No, I heard they weren't very cooperative like a lot of people weren't, but that's that's kind of a bummer. Either way, you guys are doing a phenomenal job. I'm hoping they kind of the outlook turns around once they see the finished product. I'm also Thanks, curious sir. because you guys have played a decent amount of ball, I'm assuming. Uh, I'm curious, one, was there a basketball camp that everybody had to go through? And two, you got to tell me who's the best on the team or on the whole cast. Well, uh, me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I'm just like, so like, uh, I would definitely say from the pilot, I, uh, they put they put me with a, a basketball coach, Edon Ravine, and uh, we just got after it almost instantly as soon as I booked the role. And from then until we shot the pilot, we took a little break during the pandemic 
But, like, we both were, like, sitting around, like, yo, we need something to do. So, like, me and him hooked back up. And then, like, Delonte and uh, Devon, we started getting into it. And then slowly other people started getting into, uh, like, and, and basically it became a camp, like a basketball camp. But it was, uh, for a lot of days, it was just us three going at it. And if I'm being truthful, um, <laughs> probably the best player, it, it wasn't, it wasn't an actual cast member, but if I'm going to go with the cast member, I have to probably say uh, Shelby Moats. He plays um, okay. he plays uh, with the curly hair. I forget his character's name, but he's he, him and Mike Mike Scott, who plays Butch Lee. They, right. they were pretty good basketball players. So, well, yeah. very nice. You Like I said before, you are phenomenal in this role. I really appreciate you giving me the time. Have a good one, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. Appreciate you.